Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World. And this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch. The skills that are essential for standing out and thriving, no matter how much technology evolved. We're talking about real differentiators here like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this, AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy. I'm Srini Rao, and this is the Unmistakable Creative Podcast, where I speak with creative entrepreneurs, artists, and other insanely interesting people to hear their stories, learn about their molding moments, tipping points, and spectacular takeoffs. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. 
Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. As creators, we're always on the move. Whether it's a live podcast event, a pop-up shop, or a workshop, we're constantly interacting with community, and that's where Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe comes in. Imagine this. You're at a live event, a listener loves your merch, or a participant wants to sign up for your course on the spot. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, you can accept their payments right there and then, right from your iPhone so there's no extra hardware or no delays. Total game changer. It's not just for creators. Any business owner can do this. It's about making transactions smoother and much more personal, growing your business in your way. We've been using Stripe for our products and courses for a long time, and now with Tap to Pay on iPhone, you can take your business to the next level too. So visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone to learn more. Remember, folks, with Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, your business is always at your fingertips. Jason, welcome to The Unmistakable Creative. Thanks for taking the time to join us. Thanks for having me, my friend. Yeah, it's my pleasure. So um, I came across you by way of our mutual friend, Clay Haybear, whose yep. name I have finally said correctly on the show. <laughs> Keeps getting on me for that. Uh, so you know, tell us a, a bit about yourself, your journey, uh, you know, your story, and uh, how that has led you to what you're up to in the world today. Sure. Yeah. Uh, well, I, I dropped out of high school uh, to start a service-based business. I realized early on that service-based businesses are hard to scale. Uh, I pivoted into an online product business, which I grew to about $6 million a year over four years with no outside investments. Um, I was, quote unquote, living the whole four-hour work week. I was traveling the world. I was making a, a ton of money. I had a ton of free time. Uh, but with all that money and all that free time, you start climbing up Maslow's hierarchy of needs. And you start asking yourself, why am I here? Will I be remembered? Uh, how many people show up to my funeral and I simply was not happy with the answers I was giving myself at the time and around that same time I also realized I was making 22 times the national average income and in you know business circles that would be celebrated uh, but it was bothersome to me at the time and I couldn't figure out why uh, until I realized it was if you scale it out, it's 22 times the national average. And I was not 22 times happier in the average in male. I was not 22 times healthier. Two years prior, uh, at the age of 23, I actually had kidney complications because of stress in my business. So I realized that money and happiness scale very differently. So consciously, I decided to sell my business. Subconsciously, I started to scale it downwards. And uh, uh, over time, I just started detaching myself from the business, wanted nothing to do with it. I never enjoyed the industry. I didn't enjoy my customers i just it was not a, a good environment for me to be in and uh on the during the process of scaling it down i was completely comfortable over time to, to scale it down to zero um and have a little bit of money left so i could start something new that would that would truly light me up however two things happened that were beyond my control on the way down uh that landed me a quarter million dollars in cash debt which was august of 2012 and, um, you know, sometimes I look back and I romanticize about that time a little bit and I'm like, oh, it wasn't that bad. But truth be told, it was obviously the toughest point of my life. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was getting married or the, that, like that exact same time. August 2012 was when everything hit the fan. I got married September 1st. My daughter was six month old, was six months old September 1st. Um, so there was a lot of moving parts. And, uh, one of the biggest kind of scary parts of that moment, was that I knew I had the mental capacity to pull myself out financially because I've made more money than that in the past. Mm-hmm. But with all this added pressure because of getting married and and just the, the transition of everything, um, I had no energy. 
And it was like having a Ferrari for a brain, but with no gas in the tank. And like most entrepreneurs, I built my business at the expense of my health for many years. And um, from this, I mean, since then, I've had to lose about 70 pounds mm-hmm. uh, to where I am today. So I, uh, that was kind of where I was at the time. And then I, uh, I knew I, I had to get onto something next. I didn't know what it would be. And uh, somebody actually uh, gave me a ticket to go see Seth Godin in New York. And I've always been a huge fan of Seth, but I've never had an opportunity to actually see him live in person. And this is around October. This would be about October of 2012. And then uh, uh, I went down. I had no clue what the topic was, but I just wanted to be there. And the the theme of his little workshop was the connection economy and how there's huge value being the catalyst connecting like-minded individuals. And at the time, I'm like, there's no group as disconnected as entrepreneurs because everybody's working in their own little silos uh, and that kind of stuff. So I came back to Toronto and started doing these things called mastermind dinners mm-hmm. where I'd, I'd invite six to eight entrepreneurs who didn't know each other and I – with the hopes that they would connect over dinner. Um, and the first one I did, I almost canceled two hours prior because I'm like, nobody's going to see value in this. They're going to think I waste their time. But thankfully, I, I went through with it. And uh, I continued to do these dinners. They cost me six, seven hundred dollars a dinner to put on, and people thought I was crazy because I didn't have any financial benefit for putting them on. I didn't have a, ben- a business that would benefit from it. Uh, but for me, bankruptcy was an option at the time, and it was an option I was seriously entertaining. Mm-hmm. And my reasoning was that the bank could take my car, they could take whatever measly assets I have left, but they can't take my relationships. So investing in my relationships and investing myself were the two safest investments I could make at the time. Um, and then – so I kept on continuing on with those dinners, which went very well from a social capital perspective, but financially they didn't do much for me. Um, and I had an opportunity to do an event with Tim Ferriss. Uh, I've known Tim for about three years and he was launching his uh, recent book at the time was uh, The 4-Hour Chef. Mm-hmm. And that book was banned from 1,100 Barnes & Noble's bookstores. And when you're somebody like Tim, your first book is a huge hit. Your second book is a huge hit. The expectation is that your third book will be a huge hit as well. So he Tim had to get a little creative and uh, he did uh, these book packages where if you bought 25 books, you get this. If you bought 50 books, you get that. He had this Hail Mary package. He created one package that if you bought 4,000 books, um, you he would do two speaking engagements. Mm-hmm. And at the time when I saw this, because I used to wake up at 4 in the morning and he just posted this. So I saw it within like half an hour of him posting it. And I thought of a good friend, a friend of mine who puts on these huge events in Canada uh, that they have two, 3,000 people show up. They have Malcolm Gladwell and Colin Powell and all these people. And so I sent him an email. I'm like, this is a great opportunity for you. And the minute I click send on that email, I'm like, you know what? It's a great opportunity for anybody because Tim doesn't speak that often and he's never spoken in Canada. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I decide to – I email Tim directly and I say, you know what? I'll, I'll take the package. Um, now, mind you, I had no money at the time. I didn't know <laughs> where I was going to get that money. But – just knowing myself as an entrepreneur, I always work best when I have my back against the wall to a degree mm-hmm. um, and I really stretch myself. I always find a way to kind of follow through. So uh, I made the commitment. It was basically $84,000 that I had to come up with in about two days. <laughs> and uh, up until that point, I had never raised money ever. Uh, my first business, I built it on credit cards. Um, so this was actually – it was a tough uh, – tough thing for me to overcome because I was born and raised with the notion that you never ask anything for from anybody. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, ended up reaching out to three friends on that morning and the first two said that they would front me the money. And uh, so that's how I got Tim and then from that point I knew I, I was officially in the event space and mm-hmm. uh, built out Mastermind Talks from there. Very cool. 
Well, let's do this. Um, I want to go back to the very beginning of this uh, and actually dig into this piece around Maslow's hierarchy. You know, I mean, it's funny, right? You talked about, you know, you're making an income that's 22 times the national average, living the dream, living the fire work week. And I'm thinking, you know, as I'm listening, people are probably thinking, well, that doesn't sound bad. I would, you know, I'd do anything for that. Or, you know, that seems like it's perfect. Um, What I'm really curious about, you know, and it's it's going to be interesting because, you know, we, well, we, people will probably just have heard an interview with Jonathan Fields where we talked about a similar process of sort of self-inquiry. Um, I'd love for you to do a deep dive into sort of um, dissecting that Maslow's hierarchy and kind of your own experiences with it and kind of the revelations that it came from it. And, you know, what, is, what does that mean for us? And how do we, how do we put that into to action in our own lives? Well, oftentimes when, we, when you hear somebody talk about, quote unquote, living uh, the life to a degree as far as either being financially successful and being able to travel and stuff like that, um, there's that disconnect and you're like, I can't relate with them. That, that sounds like it's, it's everything. Right. Mm -hmm. But I mean, this is not a money doesn't buy happiness type (laughs) talk or something like that. Like I've been poor and I've been rich, rich is better. But at the same time, um, you know, there has to be that kind of, that level of fulfillment. Uh, I built my business basically how most entrepreneurs build their businesses. And it's based on proximity and opportunity, Mm -hmm. um, purely financial opportunity. I never actually, picked my business per se it kind of picked me um and because of that i mean i was an industry i was in the ticket business actually so i I used to sell and resell concert tickets Mm -hmm. um so we had a big ticket broker firm in canada and had some retail stores and a huge online presence and uh it was one of those things i mean i I don't see value in concerts i've never i rarely go to concerts i don't go to sporting events um so it was hard for me to get behind something that uh i don't even see value in it was hard for me to sell something to somebody that i don't see value in so i started you know after a while i started to kind of sabotage money making opportunities because you know people call me to buy something or they'd email me and i wouldn't respond because i knew if i sold them tickets then they i'd have to deal with them as customers and i didn't want to um so eventually i just knew it was kind of downhill from there and oftentimes as entrepreneurs we get stuck on this i call it like the entrepreneurial hamster wheel where we build a business we hate to enable us to buy things we don't need to impress people we don't even like and we just stay on this cycle um so yeah, I mean, I knew for me, as long as I had a plan B, which was a business that took care of all my wants and needs financially, I'd never fall through with plan A, which was to create a business that would truly light me up. Mm-hmm. Uh, and just to give you a little contrast, I mean, from where I was in my last business to where I am now, I mean, I'm not financially where I need to be, but I've never felt wealthier. I mean, there's not a single person that comes to our events that I wouldn't have over to my house for Sunday dinner. Mm-hmm. And it's a completely, I mean, it's a completely different way I have a completely different way of looking at business and I like I hate referring them to them as customers, but you know, Warren Buffett has that book, you know, tap dancing out of bed. And that's what I feel Leah every morning. Um, and no amount of money in the world, you know, can really substitute that. Um, and I know now that I'm kind of pursuing what I thoroughly enjoy, the money will come. It'll take a little longer, but um, you know, it'll it'll come over time. Mm-hmm. Well, let me ask you this. Um you know, how do we how do we take all of that and, and apply it in our own lives? I mean, do we do we go through this process of Maslow's hierarchy? And you know, you mentioned this idea of things that light you up and, and sort of scaling happiness. So I'm curious, how do we get back to that thing that lights us up? And you know, how do you recognize that? Hey, you know what? Maybe I'm you know basically creating a business that I hate because uh, sometimes I think people aren't even aware that they're doing it. Yeah. Well, I mean, for for me, I, I didn't know what would light me up initially. I'm just one of those type of people that, in the absence of clarity, you just take action and see what, see what happens. Um, but one of the things I, I like, you know, I've I've helped a few people kind of get clarity on what lights them up. And one of the the ways 
is is actually I'll take a piece of paper and I'll write I lose track of time when dot 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 at the top of the paper and then I'll just list out when I lose track of time. So I'll lose track of time when I'm, when I'm with my daughter. I lose track of time when I'm surrounded by a group of entrepreneurs. I lose track of time when you know I'm practicing martial arts and that kind of stuff. And just keep listing and listing. And over time, like I, my belief is that if you lose track of time doing something, that is something that is you know your passion to a degree. Um, so that's how I kind of create a, a, a list. Mm-hmm. But I mean, as far as like something actionable so you don't get stuck in that trap, one thing I did, I don't know how I came across this. I don't know who created this. I've tried to find afterwards and I I don't know where it came from. But um, I did this exercise called the perfect day, Mm -hmm. uh, which was basically identifying the the theory of it is basically business. uh, Its core function is to make money and money's core function is to perpetuate experiences in our day-to-day life. So – if you understand that's kind of the process, the logical question is what do you want your day-to-day life look to look like and then you build a business off of that mm-hmm. instead of the other way around which is the majority what the majority of people do. So, um, the perfect day exercise basically it's very simple. It's it's you know, what does your perfect day look like? Where are you waking up? Who are you waking up next to? What time are you waking up? Uh, what are you having for breakfast? What time are you starting work? Not what are you doing for work, but what mm-hmm. time are you starting work? How off, like how much are you working throughout the day? Are you going to an office where you're meeting with a team? Are you working virtually? Uh, those kind of things. And get very clear on that. Um, and why that was powerful for me at the time, and I didn't realize it, is because when I got clear on what my perfect day was, when I hit rock bottom, I didn't know what was going to come next. And I had a ton of opportunities come my way which I wasn't expecting and if I wasn't clear on what my perfect day was I probably would have taken some kind of financial opportunity that was the most lucrative mm-hmm. to pull, kind of pull me out and I'd end up in the exact same situation I was in instead because I was clear on what I truly truly wanted at the end of the day I could use that as a filter so every opportunity that came my way I could ask myself is this going to take me closer to my perfect day or is it going to take me further away and if it was going to take it me further away it was a non-negotiable I would not I would not kind of pursue it. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was kind of like a something that that helped me at the time, uh, and it's something that definitely listeners can can probably try as well. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a that's a really great sort of filter, not only for your business but for your life as a whole. Oh yeah, you know, for yeah, every it, decision you make, if that becomes a filter, uh, I, I think. And, and the other thing I really appreciate that you said is that you know, in the absence of clarity, you just take action. Because, mm-hmm. and I always said, you know, you know, at, at, you know, clarity often comes from action. Sure, absolutely, and that's that's my, my that's really my model. If you look back on my entrepreneurial journey, mm-hmm. um, you know when I tried, to, I never had a business plan. Like, there's, I had a, a friend of mine who's a VC, is invested in hundreds of companies, and he's like, you know, I never look at business plans, mm-hmm. and I'm not a event, like I don't follow business plans either. But I'm like, you know, you're a VC, why don't you look at business plans? And he's like, he's like, if you look at anybody's business plan, he's like. Um, None of them say that they'll lose money in the first five years. Mm-hmm. But the truth is 95% of businesses lose money in the first five years. So it's yeah. like they're hi- highly inaccurate and things are always changing. So if you look at Mastermind Talks, like how it came to be, I got Tim as a speaker and what I thought the event would look like at the time to what it was mm-hmm. when I stepped on stage four or five months later were – I mean the, the the idea pivoted like at least 90 times oh. and that's because I took action and then I tested and I saw how things were going and then I pivoted and that kind of stuff. 
Yeah, I can relate. So. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So uh, yeah. let me let me ask you this. You know, it seems that with almost anybody here, there is a sort of pivotal moment or a turning point. Um, something that often you know is a breakdown that ends up being a breakthrough. Uh, and in your case, it was this you know reaching this point of being two hundred and fifty thousand dollars in debt, and that wasn't even that long ago. No. Um, and 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 if, you know, with all this pressure mounting in your life. I'm really curious, you know, what kinds of mindsets do you have to cultivate to navigate these kinds of challenges? Because I think that they're inevitable as entrepreneurs. We're going to have things that don't go our way. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, there's, there's there's a lot there. I mean, a lot of it being I've been an entrepreneur for, I guess, about 10 years now, mm-hmm. 10, 11 years. So a lot of this stuff is, is unconscious. So it's hard to <laughs> hard to kind of pin down. Uh, one of them is just uh, – really kind of looking at like the worst case scenario and not being afraid of it like really taking ownership of your situation Mm -hmm. because it's easy when stuff like that happens because those two incidents that were truly beyond my control that's what pushed me into debt uh and it was would have been easy for me and i probably did uh kind of blame it for a few minutes but for but i didn't dread on it for too long uh, so like not playing the victim card and that kind of stuff and really owning where you are Mm -hmm. so that you can that honesty is going to help you kind of create a baseline so you can start moving forward. Because if you spend, you know, obviously there's, there's a ton of people out there who play the victim card all the time and mm-hmm. uh, there's, there's no progress that comes from it. So I think that's one of the things is taking ownership uh, from a mindset perspective. Uh, I mean, there's there's a lot of stuff. I mean, obviously, it was a bad time for me. I think the importance of small wins mm-hmm. is is something I would emphasize as well, um, because when you you know you end up in a situation like that, um, it's hard. Like I had, it was hard in the sense because I was already very successful as an entrepreneur at one point in time, and then to lose that all. I felt like if I didn't hit the next business out of the park, mm-hmm. um, I would lose all my my network, I would, my reputation. I'd lose my reputation. So I had a lot on the line. So I was paralyzed for a little bit of time. Mm-hmm. And what got me back, you know, up and going again was really uh, just small wins, just small, just setting up the day so that. Um, you know, when you have this big project, like you want to take on whatever you want to start your business and, and you want to reach 10 million, whatever the case may be, like chunking that down so you can have these small wins. I actually got that from um, Olympic athletes, mm-hmm. Michael Phelps. I mean, if you if you look in my, into Michael Phelps's training, his coach has his days structured so that he experiences small wins throughout the day. He wakes up the exact same time every morning, eats the exact same meal, makes his, his way to the gym the exact same way, listens to the exact same rap music uh, mix when he gets there. His warm-up is down to the second. So by the time he actually steps to get into the pool, he's already – and you know and to, to, to compete in a championship or something like that, uh, he's already had five, six, seven, eight wins. So he already has that momentum. Um, so, you know, winning a, a race is just another notch on his belt. It's not this big overwhelming thing. Mm-hmm. So I think, I think that momentum from small wins and how you set up your day is, is really important from a mindset perspective. Yeah. I love that because, you know, what, what's interesting about that is that it gives you an ability to work on things that are completely in your control. Absolutely. And there's so many things that are not. So if we can take the things that are in our control and optimize them, uh, for the better, I think that that's, that's really critical. Yeah, and there's there's one thing I would throw into uh, mindset, which is actually a, a quote from Viktor Frankl, which um, was from his book Man's Search for Meaning, mm-hmm. which to me has been just uh, just this quote resonates with me all the time, and it's that uh, between stimulus and response, there's a space, 
and in that space lies our freedom mm-hmm. uh, to basically choose what we want an event to to mean to us, right? So um, that's a big thing too. Is I could have, I, I and I mean, I did for a little bit when I hit rock bottom. I was like, you know, why is this happening to me and that kind of stuff. Uh, but then you can also see it as an opportunity for like a fresh start or mm-hmm. to overcome adversity because that's a better story as an entrepreneur uh, and stuff like that. So there's there's always sometimes when I find myself actually now. When something happens to me and my I, the initial reaction I have, I'm I'm not happy with it. Mm-hmm. I'll actually sit down and write and write out uh, what else could this mean, and mm-hmm. then I'll I'll just list out. I'll just try so hard to list out at least three four things that what else could this one event mean, um, and that's been uh, that was that's been huge. And I'll give you a great example of this. Mm-hmm. And this is this is a little kind of little vulnerable, but my uh, when I proposed to my wife, um, I. It was a surprise proposal. Both of our families were there. Nobody knew. Her f- family came up to me and they said, we got a new son in our family. Uh, and they were they were just overwhelmed. They were full of joy. And then my family felt like they were losing me as a son. <laughs> so it was the same event, but there's, there's different uh, reactions to it. And therefore, there's, you know, they attach a different meaning. Her family attached the meaning that they got a new son. My family attached the meaning that they lost their son. Mm-hmm. And uh, because of that, there was two different emotional responses. So understanding that we have the ability to choose a emotional response to an event, uh, I think is a really powerful tool as an entrepreneur. Yeah, I love that. And I think that, you know, I like that idea of writing it down because the thing is that the the like the space between stimulus and response often is very small for a lot for, for some of us. And the idea of, okay, write down what this could mean is, is actually quite powerful because that yeah. gives you an opportunity to pause. Yes. Yeah. I mean, for me, one of my biggest challenges and something I want to work on is how do I increase that space? Yeah. I'm so you. when something happens, I just hold on give me three seconds and I'm, I'm going to pick the response, uh, you know, to this event because, uh, I think, uh, I think that, that that'll be a game changer and I'm getting better over time, but yeah, sitting down and actually forcing yourself to find the good in events, mm-hmm. uh, can uh is 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 truly a game changer for me mm-hmm. well let me ask you this i mean in spite of all this you know you're two hundred fifty thousand dollars in debt you know you're even thinking bankruptcy and instead what you do is you go out and put these six hundred dollar dinners on like let's talk about the mindset around that i mean navigating this situation when your financial situation isn't ideal and yet you're still dreaming big you're still going for it you're investing in social capital mm-hmm. uh, i mean how do you do that i mean how do you how do you do that when on the on the surface, things don't look so good and things don't feel so good because I can guarantee you there are a lot of people who are struggling on the surface. Yeah, I mean, while I was looking back, it was nuts. I mean, there's no two ways about it because I mean, on top of that, if I was single mm-hmm. and doing this, that's one thing because maybe I'd have to go on like you know a mac and cheese diet for a little <laughs> for a little bit or sure. something like that. But I had a daughter and I had a wife, so looking back, I mean it was kind of, I think a little selfish to a degree, but it ended up working out in the end. Uh, I just had this kind of this strong gut intuition feeling that, um, I just should keep doing it because I saw so much value being created from it. Mm -hmm. And that was the first time in a long time that I lost track of time. And when I, that's when I got kind of clarity that connecting entrepreneurs was something I wanted to do to some capacity for the rest of my life. And I didn't know what kind of business I could create from this, but I just knew there was something here. And that was the only thing that was kind of promising in my life at the time that was kind of actually moving forward was I was actually building something. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in that case, it was, it was my relationships. It was my network. So, um, 
yeah, I mean, it's hard for me to look back and be like, these were the specific reasons. The only reason I can kind of pinpoint was that I had nothing else to lose, uh, really, besides, you know, like I said, my car and whatever measly assets I had left. But uh, it definitely, you know, looking back on the decision, it, it, it was a little crazy. Yeah. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn and has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a It's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. As creators, we're always on the move. Whether it's a live podcast event, a pop-up shop, or a workshop, we're constantly interacting with community, and that's where Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe comes in. Imagine this. You're at a live event, a listener loves your merch, or a participant wants to sign up for your course on the spot. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, you can accept their payments right there and then, right from your iPhone so there's no extra hardware or no delays. Total game changer. It's not just for creators. Any business owner can do this. It's about making transactions smoother and much more personal, growing your business in your way. We've been using Stripe for our products and courses for a long time, and now with Tap to Pay on iPhone, you can take your business to the next level too. So visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone to learn more. Remember folks, with Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, your business is always at your fingertips. 
Yeah, no doubt. Well, let's do this. Um, I want to dig a little deeper into this idea of connecting people and, and building relationships because I mean, you've built relationships with some really, really influential people. Uh, you know, people who, you know, I've heard, you know, the room at Mastermind Talks is just heavy hitters galore. And I'd love for you to talk um, in depth about this process of building relationships with influential people, uh, you know, what you bring to the table and, and, you know, sort of the social dynamics of all of it and, and how that translates into our lives and in our world. Yeah. Well, I mean, uh, it, well, it's one of those things. First thing, I mean, everybody wants to be connected to the Ryan Holidays and the Tim Ferrisses of the world and the Richard Bransons and stuff like that. Um, and although, you know, I, ha- I have a lot of big name people, I guess I'm quote unquote connected with, um, that's not where a lot of my focus goes from a networking building perspective. And the reason being is because there's a lot of noise. When you try to reach out to a Tim Ferriss and try to be friends with him or something like that, um, there's simply, there's a lot of people who are trying to do the same thing. And mm-hmm. somebody like him is rather guarded because they already have all the friends they need. And anybody else who's coming in at this point most likely wants something from them. So uh, I don't focus too much on my energy there, but just through osmosis, now that I have the network I have, I just naturally uh, build relationships with a lot of these people. But for me, where I focus a lot of my energy is actually up-and-comers to mm-hmm. a degree. I see myself almost like a talent scout, and I'm a firm believer that amazing people become increasingly amazing over time. Yeah. And if you're interesting to me, even if you're starting out in business, even if you're not in business, has nothing to do with like, you know, just entrepreneurs or anything like that. Like you could be an artist. If you're world class at what you do, you're interesting to me and I want to know you. Mm-hmm. Um, and because of that, like for example, uh, there's a guy named Sully Brakes uh, who's somebody I have to intro you to, but yep. he's a great example of somebody who he just released this like YouTube video. He's a spoken word artist. He's absolutely brilliant. He released a YouTube video. It started to get some traction. I reached out to him because I'm like, you know what? I really love what you do. Uh, I'd love to have you on Mastermind Talks as a speaker. He's never spoken like that at an event before, but I'm like, I just I just have this kind of gut intuition feeling you're going to be something big one day. And uh, had him at Mastermind Talks. He's blown up since then. I had him again at the, our last event. Uh, and he's a great example. Somebody, you just, you talk to him, you know he's going to be up to big things. Like he was talking, to, he met up with Will Smith not too long ago and stuff like that. Like he's up to real big stuff. And that's, for me, one of my biggest joys, I actually posted this on my Facebook, uh, like my personal Facebook profile two days ago, mm-hmm. was like one of my biggest joys is to see other people succeed yeah. uh, by far. And that's like when I when it comes to networking, that's where I f- allocate the majority of my energy is who are some interesting people I can help and I can serve. Mm-hmm. Uh, as far as reaching out to the quote unquote big people, um, it's one of the like, common problem I see <laughs> is that people reach out to people far before – like they, they reach out to people cold and yeah. they reach out to people because they're asking for something. And mm-hmm. for me, if you look at – people are always asking what's the ROI on relationships and they usually don't start investing in relationships until they, can, until they can actually peg an ROI on knowing so-and-so because they can help my business by getting this client. For me, I've always had a little bit of a different mindset and um, – an example is of this is actually when I went to uh, – so Tim, how I originally met Tim Ferriss was he put on an event uh, three years ago called Opening the Kimono in San Francisco. And it was a closed event. It was $10,000 to go for two days and it was geared towards authors. Mm-hmm. And I never had the intention of ever becoming an author but I'm like at $10,000 will probably be some interesting people there. And it was a stretch for me at the time. It wasn't like I was just throwing money around but I just had this kind of gut intuition feeling I should go. So I went to the event and um, 
at the event, I'm actually not a good networker as far as like, you know, in-person networking and relation. I'm not good at all. Uh, what I'm good at is following up with people afterwards. Uh, so that's what I did uh, in many cases with a lot of people from that event. And the funny thing is, is I didn't know anything that would come from it. I was in the ticket space at the time. Uh, but if you look at our first Mastermind Talks event, so it cost me $10,000 to go at that, to that one event three years prior. If you look at Mastermind Talks, five speakers who spoke on my stage for free mm-hmm. were from, from that original Tim Ferriss event. I had four or five people in the audience who spent $3,000 to be at my event from that event. And I also had two people signed up for my Mastermind group at $20,000 each. Uh, from that original event from three years prior. So mm-hmm. if you add up what I would have paid in speaker fees, the revenue I brought in from ticket sales and the mastermind stuff, it comes up to something like $235,000 or something like that as far as an ROI within three years. Yeah. And, and the beauty is these are relationships. As long as I live till I'm 80 or, or more, ideally, um, you know, these, the, the ROI from the relationships I made at that one event are going to be in the millions easily. Mm-hmm. Uh, because again, these are the perfect example why I reached out to Ryan Holiday uh, at, uh, and kind of got to become friends with him is because I actually saw him at Tim's event and he wasn't, like, he wasn't that known. He wasn't an author at the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what I did notice is that from the stage, Tim and a few other authors uh, would actually mention Ryan quite a bit. And they would hand the microphone to Ryan. And Ryan was just, I think it was like probably 21 at the time, 21, 22. And I'm like, who's this kid? He's really interesting. Like, what is he up to? So I just knew he'd be up to big things. And, you know, as you know, in the past few years, he's definitely been up to some big things. So yeah. that's what I pride myself the most, most on when it comes to relationship building is, mm-hmm. is again, being that talent scout and, and spotting those people out and investing in them any way I can. Funny, you and I have an extremely similar philosophy on all of this. Um, I always say emerging talent is the most undervalued asset in the world. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. And, it, 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 you know, it's, it's so true. I mean, it, it's so funny to listen to you talk about the dynamic of how Mastermind Talks comes together because the parallels to Instigator experience are, are mind-blowing to me. I know. We should have connected a while ago because there's so, there's so much. We had that quick uh, meetup in Portland, and uh, we, yeah, we just hit it off. I, I feel like we could talk for weeks. Yeah, yeah, totally. Well, I, you know, we'll be meeting in person soon. <laughs> something, tells me, something tells me we're going to be doing some stuff together at some point. Absolutely, dude. So let me ask you this. Uh, you know, one of the other things that you said is in this situation in which you know, you're in debt, you're like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to reach out to Tim Ferriss, and I'm going to take that highest slot with no idea how you're going to actually make it happen. And I think that, you know, putting yourself in a situation where you know your back is going to be against the wall, I think that takes something internally that um, a lot of people don't have necessarily, mm. or it's something that is cultivated. And I'm really curious, how do you cultivate that? I mean, what can we do? I mean, you talked earlier about small wins, but this is a big win and, and this is a big bet. This is like a, if I screw up, the consequences are, are kind of dire here. Yeah. Well, I mean, well, a you have to identify what dire is. Like, sure. I, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't necessarily, and that's the one thing is like when you're a quarter million dollars in debt, you have no money coming in, like you have this gut feeling that you're gonna die. You know what I mean? Like you're like something's gonna happen. I'm gonna die. This is I'm gonna die from this. And when you actually sit down and I really identify what that fear is, like the worst case scenario, like okay, I don't make money for six months. What does that look like? Well, I could probably try to borrow money from my parents. Maybe that won't work. Maybe I could try to borrow money from somebody else. Maybe I'll move into a shelter. It's not the you know the end of the world, but um, it's 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 not death, right? Which is often that that kind of that gut feeling that we have, um, and. Sorry, what was that? I'm trying to remember what the question was now. 
as an entrepreneur, I forget uh, all the time. You know, cultivating that mindset to be able oh, to go yeah. and take chances that put your back against the wall. Yeah, so it's it's one of those things. Like Tony Robbins has a, a quote, and I'll use an example, um, that all it takes is like six seconds of courage to change your life. Mm-hmm. And a perfect example of that is like – mastermind talks of I never spoke from a stage really before mm-hmm. uh, when I spoke at my first event that was the largest audience ever spoken in front of there was a hundred some odd people there majority of them were heroes of mine and stuff like that so it was pretty it was pretty scary but it's one of those things like I have this kind of this this gut feeling that when I put myself in those situations like walking up to the stage was the toughest part when I was on stage I was already it's like it's like skydiving right when I'm on, when I'm already out there then I know I have to follow through. And every uh-huh. time I, I do it, I do follow through. So, and the reason, it's just one of those things, like over time, I just kept on doing those things where I throw these Hail Marys and put myself in a weird situation and I always, you build up that confidence. Uh, and that's why our, my original business grew so quickly because the rest of the industry was not growing as quickly as, as we were or our competitors weren't growing anywhere near as, we, as fast as we were. But we just kept on throwing these Hail Marys where we put everything on the line and I would, you know, figure out a way to make, you know, payroll <laughs> the following month. It's not necessarily the best practice as far as business is concerned, mm-hmm. but it definitely worked for us. And it's, uh, you know, it's, it's that whole like stress versus eustress. Eustress is putting yourself in a state uh, that really kind of stretches you mm-hmm. uh, as opposed to putting yourself in a stressful state to a degree. So, um, yeah, it's, it's one of those things where you just, again, it comes down to your comfort zone and always stretching yourself outside of it. And it never gets easier per se but you know at the end of the day it's always in your best interest mm-hmm. to to stretch yourself and eventually you build this kind of gut intuition that you're going to be okay um and to trust yourself yeah you know it's funny i, I would uh i would say the, the very similar experience with instigator right no idea how the whole thing is going to come together uh, throughout a landing page, no idea if anybody would even want to attend and bit by bit, <laughs> you know, it, it comes together. And the next thing you know, you're standing on stage thinking, holy crap, this was an idea on a piece of paper. Yeah, no, and it, it's weird. I mean, as entrepreneurs, we often, you know, overestimate what we can accomplish in a day, but underestimate what we can accomplish in six months or a mm-hmm. year. And it's those small little decisions we make along the way and those small little stretches we do, um, that you know you look at any big company the the small steps they did initially you you look back and like laugh at it because you're like it's it's crazy to see if you connect all the dots mm-hmm. uh, to where people started out yeah well let's do this let's uh let's shift gears a little bit and let's start talking about uh the process behind how this whole event of yours comes together sort of the art behind it i mean this is something i personally am fascinated by because it's it's something i think we both share in common is that we're Almost, I think it unleashes both of our inner Steve Jobs when we do this. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, so you want me to talk about like the beginning of Mastermind Talks? Yeah, or? I mean, you know, one of the things you <laughs> talked about is how, you know, it, you, it, like your original vision for it evolved, I mean, it, through multiple pivots, and I can completely relate because, you know, what we throw up as a landing page and what we thought was going to be the event when it actually came to be, Yeah, it was, I mean, it was leaps and bounds better, obviously, but I'd love for you to talk us through sort of the, actually, let's talk through the creative process of bringing this to life. Sure. Well, I mean, the the core goal initially uh, was, and it it still is the core goal to put a hundred amazing entrepreneurs in a room. Mm -hmm. Uh, To me, that's like the ultimate safety net is I can have terrible speakers, I can have terrible food, but if I have a hundred amazing people in the room, that's rare and they're going to get value from that. Mm Mm-hmm. So that's always been kind of that was always the goal. Now how that came to be 
was you know uh, for our first event we had uh, people apply to to attend um we had 4200 people apply for our first event i picked the top 110 entrepreneurs mm-hmm. um and we had uh, kind of a very successful event in that case the the one thing i'd say that makes our events a little kind of unconventional uh is that the, just the emphasis on the people in the room mm-hmm. uh like we're clear that if we have the right speakers uh, we'll draw on the right audience, and if we have the right audience in the room, then we have a fantastic event. Mm-hmm. So there's a huge emphasis uh, in our event on on the attendees and connecting the attendees and and that kind of stuff. Because at the end of the day, like content's abundant. If you want to hear Tim Ferriss talk, right. uh, you can just watch his videos on YouTube, right? So um, that's kind of one of our our focuses. We do a lot of stuff that's that's unconventional. I'm a firm believer that conventional methods yield conventional results. So <laughs> there is there's a lot from yeah. From from the selection process, we refunded forty-three thousand dollars in paid tickets for the first event, which I didn't know would pay if it would pay off or not. Uh, if we, we do a speaker prize for the best talk as voted by the audience. We don't pay our speakers. Mm-hmm. Um, just a, there's a ton of stuff there, and again, a lot of it's just like it, it's funny because people look at mastermind talks and they're like, "Oh, that's crazy how you do things," and I'm like. It just feels that's the way it should be. That's the way events should be. The events should be focused on the experience of the attendees and not the experience of the sponsors, right? right. Like that, that makes there's that's a non-negotiable. I don't know why it's standard practice to do the things the other way around. So a lot of it is uh, is unconscious for me. But um, our first event and, and second event were were rather f- similar, but different in the sense that the second event we didn't open it up to the general public. Mm-hmm. Uh, my goal with the first event was to make both the attendees and the speakers evangelists and uh, do that at all costs. I was hoping at least to break even but make both the attendees and speakers evangelists of the event so I could have that social proof. Mm -hmm. And I had three sets of videographers there to capture that experience because I knew if I could capture the essence of the event, I'd never have to sell it ever again. And thankfully that happened. I, I got like seven hours of testimonial footage for mm-hmm. the first event. I had you know, <laughs> footage from every angle. And uh, because of that, the, the, the following event we had, we actually didn't open it up to the general public. We didn't accept uh, applications. Instead, what I did was I identified 90 entrepreneurs who I thought would be a good fit for the event. Mm-hmm. I reached out to them individually. Uh, and uh, 78% of those people signed up. So that's how we filled up the event for the most part. And then we allowed a third of the people to come back to the mm-hmm. new event. So we don't allow our our full like list of attendees to come back year over year. Um, so, yeah, I mean, there's, there's, there's quite a few things. And I think, again, you and I meet eye to eye on a lot of them. Pretty much all of them, it sounds like. You know, it's interesting <laughs> to hear you talk about this idea that you know you wanted to create an event that you wouldn't have to sell ever again um, and really turn people into evangelists. And I, you know, I, that was really kind of my mindset. I said, you know, we got to get this thing so right that we never have to convince anybody why they should be there again. It's kind of like an Apple product, right? Like nobody, like you know, the iPhone's coming out tomorrow. People are lined up for the damn thing. Yeah. And I kind of thought that's the mindset with which we have to approach all of this and really just, you, you know, um, take the craft of it seriously. And, you know, the attendee experience, I mean, I think we're, we're absolutely in agreement there. I think so many events fail on that front oh, yeah. um, because it becomes about the sponsors and the speakers. And it just, it's, I think, you know, too often the primary purpose of the event becomes selling tickets as opposed to, um, you know, the attendees really having this sort of masterful takeaway from, from it. Mm-hmm. 100%, 100%. So, well, let me ask you this. Uh, you know, Obviously, with Tim Ferriss, you know, to do something like Mastermind Talks is a huge, audacious, um, you know, gutsy, you know, time-consuming undertaking. (laughs) And 
you know, I think about projects like this because, you know, when, when our videographer for instigator interviewed me at the very end of the event, he, you know, he called me into this, you know, the, our green room and he said, all right, stream, what do you think? He said, you know, now that you're done. And I said, you know, it's so weird to be sitting here. We've done this and I still, am not sure I believe that I'm capable of doing this. <laughs> and so I'm really curious, you know, um, around the mindset uh, piece of, of really pulling off something that has won this caliber uh, of, um, you know, reputation and, and sort of the, you know, how, why, you know, your ability to commit to a craft to make it so, you know, above and beyond. Um, and I'd love for you to expand on that piece a little bit. Uh, the uh, us going above and beyond or the, well, the mindset both, of the, it? the mindset to take on a huge goal. And then I want to talk about the craftsmanship that um, the craftsmanship element and how that applies to any artist or any creative person, or any person doing something of significance in the world. So I, I guess one thing in regards to it being audacious, I think it all comes down to contrast and who you surround yourself with mm-hmm. to a degree. Uh, Cause mind you, if this was, I'll give you an example, perfect example. So when I started my first business, I was a, uh, it was actually a concierge business where I'd run errands for people. And I reached out to somebody. He became my mentor uh, early on. And I was doing probably like $10,000 a month. And at the time, uh, that was a lot of money for me. And he's like, imagine one day when you're doing $80,000 a month. And I'm like, there's – I like consciously – like. I was agreeing with him, like, yeah, sure, I, I can, I can, I can picture that, but you know, emotionally, I didn't. Emotionally, I'm like, there's no way. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then three years later, we were doing about seven, eight hundred thousand dollars a month, and I remember at that point in time, be like, my God, like, I just, I had no grasp at, that I could even do eighty thousand dollars a month, and here I'm doing eight hundred thousand, and it just comes, I think, comes down to kind of limiting beliefs, because mm-hmm. my mentor at the time had a multi million dollar business, so for him, eighty thousand dollars a month is like peanuts right so i came off the the you know i guess the success of a business that was doing six some odd million a year so when i started my new business i had a higher standard mm-hmm. right so my, my standard for business is i'm like i got to get back up there uh, into the seven figures because i know i'm capable of doing that i've done it before so um you know when looking at mastermind talks like from a financial pers- perspective i didn't you know, I don't have that stretch. I wasn't pursuing the the millions per se, but I definitely had the belief that I could do something big. Mm-hmm. And when I when I when I look at my network and I look at somebody like a Tim Ferriss or Mark Echo or Ryan Holiday, I look at these guys and I'm like, no matter like even me putting on a mastermind talks event, I feel pretty in, insignificant, mm-hmm. right? These guys have like New York Times best selling books. Mark Echo has a billion dollar, or I, at one point in time, a billion dollar clothing empire. Um, so I think who you surround yourself with uh, definitely has a huge impact on on your beliefs on what's achievable. Mm-hmm. So because if I s- surrounded myself with with people I went to high school with or something like that who are working corporate jobs, uh, for them to hear you know me try to pitch doing mastermind talks or starting my own business or whatever the case may be, I probably would have got a lot of resistance and a lot of ridicule, right? So. Right. Uh, I think that's probably one of the biggest things that uh, has shaped me as an entrepreneur mm-hmm. is, uh, again, being very conscious of, as to who I allocate my time with. And if I could boil down my success to anything, is all, it's that I've always surrounded myself with people who are one or two steps ahead of me. Mm-hmm. Because on some level, that makes me feel uncomfortable. Right. And that uncomfort forces me to bridge that gap between where I am and where they are as quick as possible. Because that's that whole like tribes mentality, right? Yep. We all have a yearning to be connected to a group. And if you're outside that group, 
unconsciously what from an evolutionary mindset perspective that means you're going to die right that means you're not going to eat or you're going to get eaten by some animal out in the wilderness the only reason we've been able to survive and thrive as a species is because we've been able to group together in tribes so when i stretch myself again and try to you know surround myself with people two three steps ahead of me it again like when i look at them whatever I try to achieve is really small peanuts compared to what they've already achieved. Mm -hmm. And I have this huge unconscious driver to get to where they are as fast as possible. It doesn't have to be financial. It doesn't have to be business. could be maybe they have a phenomenal relationship with their spouse. Maybe they're a phenomenal parent. Uh, Whatever I think they're kind of successful at or or something I want to achieve, those are usually the type of people I surround myself with. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that. I think that's that's absolutely brilliant. And, you know, I, I have to give credit to uh, Greg Hartle, who's played a big role in, uh, you know, helping Unmistakable Creative reach the level that it has because it, it, he's played that role for me um, mm-hmm. in a big way. You know, so the other piece of this that I want to talk a little bit about is, you know, the commitment that you have to craftsmanship around this. And, you know, you know, I'm reading Robert Greene's book Mastery again for a second time. And I keep thinking, wow, this is such a critical concept for anybody making anything or anybody who wants to do anything of significance in the world. And I'm really curious to hear your thoughts around that whole aspect of things and how it's played out in your life. <laughs> yeah. So it's, it's funny because this has been uh, on my mind quite a bit lately as well. Uh, because one of the things is when Mastermind Talks was was successful, the first event was successful, um, we started – I mean common kind of business mentality is if something works well, uh, then you want to duplicate it as often as possible uh, so you can make more money and that kind of stuff. And I actually had an opportunity to bring the event to the UK. So right after Mastermind Talks, I had one of the speakers come to me and say, I want to fund this event to happen in the UK. I'll fund the entire thing. I have the team that can follow through on it. You can be as involved or as little involved as you want. And uh, I almost signed on a dotted line. And then I asked myself, why am I doing this? And I really had to dig deep. And it turned out as pure because of ego it was for me to be able to say i do an event in toronto and i do an event halfway around the world and that's not the reason why i uh i I want to do it so um for me when i look at mastermind talks now as opposed to my other business and how other people look at their businesses oftentimes it's you know how can i sell this company and what's my exit strategy and that kind of stuff Mm -hmm. mastermind talks and what i do in essence i mean there's i could do this for the rest of my life and for me that mastery component is is really interesting for me because I have this huge drive to uh, exceed people's expectations year over year, mm-hmm. and from an experience perspective, it's a deep rabbit hole, right? There's <laughs> and the event space. There's so many moving parts yeah. that you can go really deep. As stuff as simple as like the name tags. We're mm-hmm. making the name the name tag shorter next year so that you can actually see them without breaking eye contact with the person. You there's I mean you break down all these touch points. You can go deep and. Uh, expand these experiences so much so from a mastery perspective that's like for me like that's what excites me most about mastermind talks is i can go really deep with this and i don't have the desire to do this event i you know i don't want to do this event every three months or something like that. i'd rather do it once a year and raise that bar year over year and just go deep um so that i'm known uh in the event space as like the guy who really puts on one of the best experiences out there. Cause I want to be a world-class facilitator of experiences. I'm clear about that, whether that be, you know, in podcast interviews or, mm-hmm. uh, in, uh, in the event space and mastermind groups, all those kind of things. Cause to me, experience is everything. Well, kindred spirits, my friend, um, uh, I'm with you. 
(laughs) Everything that I do, I I think about, you know, Eric Wall told me that all of his work was about creating epic audience experiences and that never left me. Yeah. No, hundred percent, man. So, well, hey, Jason, uh, let's uh let's wrap things up this has been really really uh you know mind-blowing and really really cool just full of some amazing insights so i'm going to wrap with my final question that we close all our interviews here with at the unmistakable creative uh you know you've seen you know really some of the best and brightest i mean you've shared a room with them what is it that you think makes somebody or something unmistakable in the world today uh i think awareness um I think awareness of what their strengths are, what their weaknesses are, awareness where they allocate their time, uh, what truly matters to them as far as like goals and stuff like that. I mean, that's the one thing I get that bothers me about goal setting is that people are great at they, – they look into the structure of how do I structure goals and stuff like that when they don't actually realize that 90% of the goals that we pursue aren't our own, mm-hmm. right? That they're the society's model of what success is or our parents' model of what success is or those kind of things. So I think awareness is, is one of those things like you don't just wake up one day and you're aware. It's a, it's a journey. But for me, when I see people who are at the top of their game, whether it be entrepreneurs, whether it be artists, whether it be – anybody for that matter, athletes, they just have this incredible awareness uh, around just all the different kind of facets of their life. And I think it just, you know, it starts with kind of questioning the path you're already on mm-hmm. uh, and then going from there. And I, I, you know, I I don't want to say I'm a super aware person, but I question a lot of what I do, like the initial gut reactions I have to things and how I respond to things and why I do things. Um, and that awareness helps me kind of fine tune uh virtually everything i do so i think that that's one of the core things i see in a lot of successful people again doesn't have to be business related they just have this incredible awareness amazing well hey jason uh this has been just absolutely fabulous and uh, i can't thank you enough for taking the time to join us and share some of your insights with our listeners here at the unmistakable creative well thanks for having me dude time just flew by i thought it's been like 20 minutes but i guess it hasn't so (laughs) awesome and uh, for those of you guys listening we'll wrap the show with that You've been listening to the Unmistakable Creative Podcast. Visit our website at unmistakablecreative.com and get access to over 400 interviews in our archives. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World. And this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch. 
the skills that are essential for standing out and thriving, no matter how much technology evolved. We're talking about real differentiators here, like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy.